Each of us consumes an average of three pounds of food per day. Keeping the math simple, that's 1,000 pounds of food per year, meaning we'll each consume about 80,000 pounds of food during our lifetimes. Somehow, our medical system doesn't want to acknowledge that these 80,000 pounds of food matter. But I'm telling you right now, a few milligrams of medicine will never be more important than the 80,000 pounds of food you eat. When we wait for disease to manifest, we've already missed our greatest opportunity. As Benjamin Franklin said, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of a cure. That is an excerpt from the new book, Fiber Fueled, from Dr. Will Bulswicks, also known as the Gut Health MD on Instagram. This is your host, Chef Bay, and welcome to the Plant Remedy Podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. I hope you all are hanging in there and doing well during these wild times that we're living in. Um, I'm so excited for today's guest. Uh, Dr. B has been such an inspiration to me, and um, I just love his content so much. I've sent so many of my clients his way. He's just a light of information and positivity. And uh, yeah, I'm just super honored and stoked that he came on the podcast to talk about his brand new book called Fiber Fueled and to answer a lot of questions that you guys had for him. So without postponing this any longer, let's get right into it. Welcome to the show, Dr. B. How's it going? Like you just launched a book in the middle of a pandemic, which is pretty amazing all in itself. So how's that whole process been? I mean, I would love to claim that I'm a hero because of that, but it's just, you know, it is what it is. And, you know, I mean, let's be honest, this is uh, a crazy time. Yeah. You know, people, the, the, the pandemic is affecting all of us one way or the other. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people it's health, some people it's economic. uh, Sometimes it's both. And, you know, so to complain about my book launch just kind of feels a little bit silly, but you know, it is what it is. I mean, the we, my book uh, has a due date, and I'm ready to uh, give birth to this baby. And I feel like <laughs> I'm like I can relate to my wife. Who, who we have two children together. I'm like yeah. I can relate to how she felt after nine months of carrying the baby. It's like it's time to get on with life, you know? Yeah, get it out in the world and kind of just like watch it do its thing. See what happens. See what happens. Let that child out into the world and let it grow and mature, and see where it goes. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And honestly, I think that, you know, of course, like this isn't ideal because none of us would ever like choose to have this happen or, but I think, you know, releasing a book about what this book is about and how this can help so many people with their health, which is like on the forefront of everyone's minds right now. I think the timing honestly couldn't have been more perfect. And I think that people are more ready for it now than they ever have been. Well, I feel like gut health has never been more important than it is right now. Yeah. It was coming into the national conscious. Like, you know, there were people already talking about it, but it's really, it was really coming into the national conscious in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, many major media outlets said this is the year of gut health. Mm-hmm. But now it becomes even more important to have the conversation because our immune system is completely intertwined with our gut. Yeah. And so, you know, 70% of the immune system lives in the gut like the majority of your immune cells seven out of ten are hanging out right there with your microbiome exactly and when we damage the gut we damage the immune system and you know they're really when we heal the gut we heal the immune system and so there it's just like it all goes hand in hand yeah it's so true and 
And now people have so much time to focus on that. You know, I think the excuse of, oh, I don't have time um, no longer exists <laughs> in that way. You know, like I don't have time for my health. And I know a lot of people have kids and there's a lot of things going on, but I think that um, there's, there's room to make space for this. And yeah. I think it's, uh, yeah, I think, I think it's worth the time that you do have, whether you have time or not, you know, I feel like this book is worth the time that you do have because I really feel like this book has the ability to transform the way that you see yourself and think about your health. And I think everyone who reads it will take things away from it that will bring value to their life. And so, you know, anytime you have the opportunity to read a book that is grounded in legitimate science, I mean, like my book is you know, there's a reason why I was able to get the support of like the, the real microbiome researchers who are up at the podium teaching the world about, you know, the microbiome. Yeah. They were willing to support my book because they know that the science is real. And so you have, a, you know, everyone has an opportunity to basically use this time for self-improvement. And, yeah. you know, no matter who you are, but, you know, some of us are more busy than ever. I mean, you're more busy than ever, Right. Totally. Like, well, and my fiance just broke his foot. So like, oh no. and we have a year old puppy. So like between like my like business, the two feet. Yeah. It's like, oh it's, no, it's in, it's, it's insane. So between like taking care of her, his foot being broken, he's like out of work right now and I'm working full time, like, like double time. It just feels like, like what the hell is going on right now like now you got you got two children and are working multiple jobs I mean it's like I'm like this is incredible birth control for me right now because I am not ready for kids (laughs) puts it all in perspective puts it all in perspective yeah yeah I mean uh, for me you know it's it's kind of it feels very weird the whole thing because I have never been so free from a professional perspective in my entire life yeah but at the same time, I feel super busy. And part of it, honestly, part of it is that I am trying to use the time to spend more with my kids. Yeah. And part of it is also that my book, like I had, I mean, I spent months basically building out an entire launch campaign. And a lot of it is just like squash, gone, virus crushed it. And it's Mm -hmm. like, okay, um, let's regroup. And just, you know, I'm just the kind of person that I'm just, I can't help how goal oriented I am. So, so when the virus squashed my, you know, launch campaign, I was just like, you know, virus, I'm coming at you, man. Like I am not, I'm sorry. I'm not going to go in the corner and cry myself to sleep in a ball. Mm-hmm. I'm coming after you virus. Like I'm coming after you and I'm going to beat you. So yeah. that's what I'm trying to do. I really resonate with that. I'm the exact same way. I'm like goal oriented to a fault. And maybe it's because like my mom was a business coach or my dad's always like a New York city, like hustler type personality. So I'm always like, but yeah, same thing. Like pandemic happens and I'm like, I got to grind, like screw all the previous plans. Like let's make a whole new set of them. And honestly, when it comes to your book launch, I, I feel like I see you out there more than ever. You're on so many like lives and podcasts and you're just talking to such incredible people. So um, it's definitely happening maybe the way that it was supposed to maybe all along, you know? Gosh, that is such an interesting thought because I mean, I have to tell you, so the whole thing um, is crazy, you know? And it's hard to sit here and say that this was meant to be, but I do believe that things happen. You know what I mean? Like I do believe that things happen in life that change your perspective 
and in a way it's almost like they're meant to be. And I don't, I, you know, I don't think either of us would go so far as to say that this virus like is, is actually a good thing for the planet. Yeah. But there is good that comes out of it. There totally. is good that comes out of it. And so, you know, I think that it's healthy to try to focus on the good mm-hmm. where you have an opportunity to do that because otherwise this virus is just purely negative and evil and it just ruins, you know, the anxiety and the stress don't make you stronger or better or make you feel better. It's like, so why not just focus on the positives if you can, right? Exactly. And like what that's doing is it's taking you out of a victim mentality. You know what I mean? And just, and using it for good and being like, okay, how can I make the best of this? You know, as human beings, we're kind of just like thrown into this huge experiment anyway. So this is just like another thing that's happening to us, especially when you're looking at like social structures and how we work and how we do business and how we communicate with our loved ones and like everything's changing. So why not use it as a way to figure out how we could change for the better? Yeah. Oh, that's so true. And I, I really, I really hope I, I truly do. I really hope that each individual person uses this as an opportunity to change for the better in some way. Yeah. You know, and it could be, it could be that you read my book, Fiber Fueled, and you have takeaways from that and it changes your perspective, but there's yeah. so many other things that you could do too. And yeah. I, I really hope that people do that because, you know, it, it's like, for example, this whole thing, it's like, it really makes you take a step back and think about how we are just, just, destroying this planet you know yeah we're just destroying this planet and we are we are so um we are so unfair to the other creatures that live on this planet as well you know Mm -hmm. and it's like all these animals are going extinct and we're the ones that are doing it Mm -hmm. the humans you know and it just makes you take a step back and say gosh like it kind of feels like the, the the world is slapping us back you know, and it's time for us to kind of wake up a little bit and like, we can make changes. Each one of us can make changes on an individual basis that will change the planet. Yeah. 100%. If we wait for other people to do it, it's just not going to happen. If all we do is say, someone's got to do something, it's not going to happen. But right. if every single person commits to making one major change, we could completely change this planet. Yeah. And I think, you know, I had a conversation with someone the other day where he was like, you know, like, what is my, when, you know, we go to food even, he's like, well, what is my one meal? Like, it's just my one meal. What is that going to do? But when you have 7 billion people saying, well, it's just my one meal, you know, like, what is that going to do? I think that, you know, your one meal or your one choice that you're making actually does matter. And you make those choices all the time. Like what you talk about in your book, how many, thousands of pounds of food that we eat in our lifetime, like it really does matter, you know? Right. Right. And that's where in my book, I really, I really try to emphasize the importance of creating healthy habits Mm -hmm. where, you know, a small change, like a small change, that's a healthy change. If you turn it into a habit can really, really compound into massive health results. Yeah. And, and the reason why is it just, you keep getting that dividend day after day after day. Whereas like the opposite of that is a bad habit. Like, you know, smoking, right? So it's like having one cigarette is not going to kill you. No. The problem is when you have a pack a day and you do that for 20 <laughs> or 30 years and now it's yeah. like, okay, it's too late. You already destroyed your body, you know? And it happens, it happens quickly too. Cause you just think about, you know, like I used to party, I used to live in San Francisco. I was like huge into the party scene, burning man scene. And I was like, oh, whatever, I'm young. Like it's fine to do drugs and party and do this and whatever. And it'd be like, oh, it's just like, I'm, I'm young. And then all of a sudden I woke up and like, 
I wasn't that young anymore. And everyone that I was hanging out with was in their like late thirties, like still partying. And I'm just like, wait a second, this happened so quickly. Like I'm no longer like young and fun and like, just because I'm young, you know, and I think that's a lot of excuses that we have. And then exactly what you just said, you wake up and you're old and you've smoked pack a day for 20 years or you've done whatever for 20 years and it really catches up to you quickly. <laughs> yeah, it does. I mean, I, you know, you, you still are young. May the record reflect. You still are yeah. very young. Um, I, you know, for me, it actually comes back to my story a little bit, to be mm -hmm. honest with you, because yeah. I grew up. Everyone in my family was skinny. I was, a, I was a really good athlete in high school. I always thought of myself as an athlete, like through my 20s. And I just thought that I was untouchable. I just, I, I thought I could do whatever I wanted to do. And so I was having my, my share of fun and I was flogging my body. I was not sleeping. I was working too hard, you know, in my medical training, mm -hmm. um, not exercising, eating junk food, um, tons, tons of caffeine, tons of Red Bulls. And, you know, and all of a sudden you, you wake up one day and you're 30 years old, which I really don't feel like is that old, but I felt so old at 30. I felt so old. And, yeah. you know, I look in the mirror and I'm like, dang, man, what happened? Like you weigh 50 pounds more than you used to weigh. The jeans that you used to wear, you can't even pull out anymore because they hurt you to put on, right? You, my blood pressure was high. I had, high, I had anxiety issues. Um, my, I had tons of fatigue. I had low self-esteem and I'm like 30 years old. 30 years old is not that old. That is way too young to be feeling the way that I felt. And it was just, you know, it never dawned on me that the food that I had been eating the, my entire life that I, I just thought I was untouchable. And I'm like, this is the way I've always been eating. This is how I was raised. How could this yeah. be the problem? And it never dawned on me that that was the problem. Yeah. Until I met my wife and I just saw her, like I was trying everything to try to lose the weight, didn't work. And then I met my wife and she could eat without restriction, in abundance, had complete control over her weight, looked amazing. But there was a difference. You know, we would go out to a restaurant and I would get a ribeye and she would ask the chef like, hey, uh, I know this is not on the menu, but can you just like put together a couple of plants you know, take a couple sides, put them together on a plate, make it look nice. That's what I want. <laughs> make it look nice. I love that. And yeah. And I was like, what, the, you know, I was like the rock with my eyebrow. I was like, what the hell is going on here? Yeah. And um, so, but I've never been around someone like that before. Even yeah, plant-based. I know it's interesting how plant-based is, is even still is, I mean, it's a bigger movement now, but it's, it's definitely like a radical change. Like I had a very similar story, but I, you know, paid a hundred thousand dollars to go to a French culinary school and like had endometriosis, chronic back pain, like gained weight was just like the sickest I had ever been. But like, I thought I understood food more than most people. And really like I was feeding my own disease so much. I was so, so sick and in such chronic pain. And like, changing my food and the amount of toxicity that was in my life saved my life, but it was just never, it's not normalized. And I think more and more, and thanks to books like fiber fueled. And I, I think like there's so many of us in this community that are really trying hard to make it more normal and mm -hmm. to make it a thing. But you know, so many people are suffering in that way, which is why I love your story because I think it's really easy to look at you and to look at like your Instagram or like all the things that you have going on and be like, Oh, this guy, he's just like, 
you know, he's this plant-based untouchable guy, but in reality, you're just like everybody else, you know? I am totally like everybody else. Yeah. I, you know, I burp, I, I poop, I do all the stuff. Um, and you know, and, and really, yeah, sorry if that was too much information. Oh, I, love it. Oh. <laughs> I, uh, should we edit that part out? No, I'm just kidding. No, yeah. it's fine. I'm going to ask um, you about poop later. So it's fine. <laughs> you know what? The problem is that I don't have a filter because I'm so used to talking about poop that there's mm. no, there's like no slowing down between my brain and my mouth when it comes yeah. to poop. Well, you had a shirt on last night. What did it say? It was like, eat plants. Take epic, take epic dumps. Take epic dumps, yeah. Yep. Like, that's the perfect gut health shirt. It's the truth. That. It's yeah. the truth. So, <laughs> no, but anyway, I, you know, it, it's so, it's so funny. And I'm, 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 you know, honored that you say this, but like, I'm a totally normal guy. And even though I'm a doctor, you know, I, I had to, my journey, I had to struggle myself. I had to struggle with my own health issues. Right. And it actually made me a better doctor. Right. It made, it made me a better doctor to have those health issues and to have to try to figure my way out of it because now I feel like I can not only relate to my patients, but it, it put the, the fire inside of me. Like it gave me the passion that I needed to overcome all the resistance that exists. I mean, the system, you know, um, this is not like to be a conspiracy type theorist because that's not what I'm really saying, but the system is not designed for people to talk about nutrition in medicine. It's just not designed for it. And so when I do that, I have to be so fired up to do it that I just don't care about the money and I don't care how much time it takes. And I don't, because it's doing the right thing for my patient and I care about my patient. That's what I care about. Yeah. I care about my patient. And when you get completely focused on what you think is the right thing for your patients and taking care of them, then that's what you're going to do. Totally. And you're not going to worry about the rest. Exactly. And I mean, the right thing for your patients in turn is like the right thing for the environment. It's the right thing to respect animals that live on this planet. And uh, it's just like leading in a way of compassion first, which I think, you know, the medical world's definitely, especially when you're looking at like big pharma and stuff, I think it just needs more of that, like leading with compassion and, you know, being someone who was ill or sick or overweight or feeling like shit, it's a really easy way to be like, Hey, I feel you. I've been there. Right. Let's do this together. Yeah, exactly. And you know, for for me, the other thing is I'm a I'm a man of science. Like I can't yeah. change that. So when I saw, you know, when I started dating the person who's now my wife and I saw her eating this way, it, it definitely weighed off a light bulb and I was like, huh, that's interesting. But for me, I had to see that the science was there to back it up. Yeah. And I had not been taught anything about this in my medical training. And so I went to, you know, basically the medical literature thinking, ah, oh, you know, there's not going to be anything there. Maybe some crappy studies. <laughs> yeah. And I was like blown away. There were thousands of high quality studies already out there. Like you don't need, I want people to understand people who are listening at home right now. I want you guys to understand the reason why this is all confusing has nothing to do with the science. The reason that this all is all confusing has to do with people trying to sell you stuff and marketing yeah. and people who have a vested interest. The science is very clear. The science is very clear. And when you take people who are not trying to sell you stuff, when you take people who will give you an honest, legitimate opinion, the science is very clear. A plant-based diet is the path to better health and it is the path to gut health. There is no question about that. And so for me, for me, Chef Bay, the, the 
thing for me is, yes, I'm vegan. Yes, I like care deeply about animals and the environment. I care about these things. But I also want people to know that when I'm functioning as your doctor, I'm following the science. And if there were a study that actually showed that people live longer by eating meat, I would acknowledge that. I wouldn't ignore it. I wouldn't take yeah. it away from you. Mm-hmm. I want to heal you. That's what I care about. So I'm not right. making crap up to fit my political agenda or something like that. I'm here to talk about what is the legitimate science that actually is going to heal your body. Totally. And I just like love the way that you, you word that and the way that you talk about it because it, A, it's really easy to understand. And for me, like I was, uh, I remember I was cooking for a client. I was just like cooking away and I was, you know, found this new podcast that I hadn't found before, which was Simon's Plant Proof Podcast. And you were on it. It was like the first one that you were on. And I'm listening to you guys talk about plant-based nutrition from a science, like information that I feel like I had been searching for for so long, someone who had come from being so sick, like switching to plant-based, feeling so much better. And I'm just like, why, like all the things that I've done, like, why am I not being educated about this? I found this podcast and I'm just like literally mouth open listening to this chopping vegetables. Like I I knew it, like my intuition, like all of it, like everything that I've learned, but like the way that you guys articulated it and the way that you can articulate the science to making it so palatable for people to understand is just like so refreshing. And I just thank you so much for that because I mean, there's a reason why people love you and the reason why you're blowing up on social and stuff is because you're relatable and people understand what the hell you're talking about, you know? And like, that's, that's nice. That's, it's helpful for the everyday human, especially when you're talking about science. Yeah, no. And it's interesting because that podcast with Simon, so for people who are at home, we're talking about plant proof podcast Mm -hmm. episode 17. And what happened there um, is that it like went viral. Like it was crazy. The, the four or five weeks after that podcast came out, there were dozens of people sharing it every day. And then like their friends would share it like two days later. Mm-hmm. And um, so it was, an, it was an interesting experience for both Simon and I. We've become great friends as a result. But he is an amazing, amazing person. Yeah. And that podcast episode is actually what inspired me to write this book. Because I felt like, like at that point, I wasn't thinking about writing a book literally at all. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden that happens and I'm like, okay, you can continue to go on these podcasts, have these conversations, they're meaningful, but there's limitations to how far you can reach with podcasts. Yeah. But the flip side is if you write a book, it is etched into that paper for eternity <laughs> And you can really spread this message so much further. And so, and so that's why I had to do it. And that's what motivated me to get started. That was August of, of um, so the ep- episode came out July of 2018. Oh, wow. And it was August of 2018 that I decided that I wanted to write this book. And I started the journey and, you know, basically started in August, got my agent in September, got my book deal in November of 2018, started writing January wrote every single day, did not take a day off, up at five in the morning, going to bed late every day until May 1st. Wow. And um, uh, got the the first draft done and then had to circle back later in the year for a couple more months to clean it up. And uh, now here we are. And finally, 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 this book baby is ready for delivery. <laughs> so we're ready to rock. And it's, I'm so good. It's good. I'm so excited to share it. I mean, I just feel so strongly that like this, 
is going to change people's lives. I really believe that. 100%. I mean, even I've, I've read through the first few chapters and there's so many things. And like I said before, the way you say them, it's just like light bulb. Like, you know, that emoji with like the head exploding, that's literally what your book is like every five seconds. Like, I'm just like, Oh my God. Yes. He articulated that perfectly. That's what I've been feeling for years. And I think for someone where this is like a new concept for them, plant-based eating, um, it's easy to digest and palate. And so I have a few questions for you that I got from a bunch of different followers and people that love your, uh, love your stuff. So if you hey. wouldn't mind, I'm going to ask you some questions if that works. Let's do it. Let's rock and roll. I'm ready. All right. So what does a regular day look like for you with food and what keeps you inspired other than just like wanting to take care of your gut? Um, all right. So regular day in terms of my food, it depends a little bit. Weekend is a little bit different. Okay. Mm-hmm. And let's pretend that it's not COVID-19 where there's like some restrictions on you know, how we eat and stuff like that. Yeah. Most days, most days I am fasting through breakfast. All right. And so I'll wake up in the morning, two large glasses of water. I find that drinking water and hydrating first turns on my brain, my kidneys and my gut really well. I feel so much better. I get greater energy all day. And then I start smashing the coffee. I love coffee. I'm a huge coffee fan. I got it right here. Okay, wait, pause. That was a huge question I got from people is about coffee in the gut. So it must be okay if you're smashing coffee in the morning. You want me to go there now? Well, so first of all, let me admit that I am fully biased. So if there's a study that says that that coffee is good for us, I automatically believe that it's okay. (laughs) And I'll admit it. Um, So coffee is kind of cool. Black coffee. Mm -hmm. Black coffee I am convinced is actually completely fine as long as you don't go ridiculously to excess. Okay. Yeah. And part of what's cool about it is that it has um, these polyphenols. Polyphenols are antioxidant, which means that they reduce inflammatory stress within the body. Okay. But the other thing that's really interesting about them that we've just discovered in recent years is that these polyphenols are actually prebiotic. What that means is that when you drink coffee, there are these plant-based chemicals, phytochemicals, that will float through your intestine until they get to your gut microbiome, which is in your colon, that's in your large intestine, the last part. Mm -hmm. They will float through your intestine, untouched, unchanged, until they get there to your gut microbiome, and then your gut microbes will actually consume them, like food. Cool. And transform them and activate them. And when you hear that things are healthy, like resveratrol mm-hmm. or beta carotene or things mm-hmm. like this, when you hear that these types of things are healthy, the truth that we have we, that we didn't realize until recently is that they're healthy because our gut microbes activate them. Mm. 99% of the activation occurs after the gut microbes actually consume them. So that's true in coffee too. Coffee is good for the gut. Epic. <laughs> yeah. My it's mom's going to be super happy about this. Uh, I'll tell your mom to give me a cheers. I'll give her a coffee. <laughs> so, all right. So Back to my, your day. my normal day is I skip breakfast usually. Okay. Okay. I might pack some fruit and bring it to work. And that fruit is like, I don't want to get to this like toxic level of hunger. So, you know, 10, 30, 11 o'clock, have a piece of fruit. What time do you wake up every day? Um, usually around seven. My kids wake up. Okay. 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 Just yeah, thinking like hours. Like yeah. Yeah. My kids I don't have that problem yet. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and, and then a normal day for me when I'm working, the hospital 
has this amazing salad bar. Mm. And so it's a blessing because I get free food at the hospital. Awesome. So I will go and basically the, the concept is very simple. If it's a plant, it goes on my salad. It's just a question of how many scoops. <laughs> so, um, you know, I mean, easily 10 plus plants, easily 10 plus plants onto my salad. Um, that's my lunch. I love to have a matcha green tea in the afternoon. It just, ah, oh, you can't beat it. No, matcha, I'm it. addicted to matcha. It's so good. It's so good. And the beautiful thing about it is what I do is I just get some sticks. Like I have these sticks that have the matcha in it, the powder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you don't even need to steep it. I mean, you know this, but like. Oh, yeah, you just mix it. You just mix it. Exactly. And that's it. So you just pour some hot water over it. Boom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you got this like, and it's so refreshing. And then matcha, and this is true of tea in general, like black tea and green tea, has this, again, plant-based chemical exclusive to plants called L-theanine. Mm-hmm. And have you ever noticed when you drink the tea, it, you get more focused? Yeah, like hyper-focused. That's the L-theanine. Interesting. That's the L-theanine from the tea. That's what's different about coffee. You won't get that with the coffee because the coffee doesn't have the L-theanine. Coffee is better for caffeine. Interesting. Okay, yeah. yeah. I've noticed that because with coffee, I actually, like I was a barista, like, I don't know, back in high school, and I would drink espresso all the time but I would get super tired from it. Like I just wouldn't feel more focused. I would feel if anything more distracted and kind of like all over the place. So that kind of makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and then similar to coffee, um, tea has uh, uh, antioxidant uh, yeah. prebiotic chemicals. So, mm-hmm. but they're different. They're, they're actually different than the coffee. So once again, you're supporting a healthy gut by drinking tea. I love that. That's so it's amazing. Beautiful thing. Yeah. Okay, so after wow. your matcha, Dinner. So usually get home, dinner with the kids, usually pretty early, uh, like 536. Mm-hmm. Um, many times it'll be, so like we're a normal family, okay? We don't like, despite what you may think you see on my Instagram of, oh, this, look at all these beautiful dishes. We kind of mostly have like five or six dishes that we just kind of rotate, you know? <laughs> yeah. And um, so it, it might be like a, like a, uh, tofu curry bowl um, over like I'm really into into hearty grains. I like strong grains like farro. Yeah, you know, I like I like the gumminess. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that that's dinner. Um, usually no dessert. Usually no. Sometimes sometimes a little natamu. You're feeling yeah. it? Oh, natamu! They're part of this giveaway I'm giving out this week, and I'm obsessed with natamu. The uh, mint chocolate chip is like impossible to tell that it's dairy free. It's impossible. No, I don't even know how they did it. It's like, it's, it's epic. Yeah. Not a move. I can't even have it in the, they sent me a box of like 16 ice creams over the holidays. And I had, I gained like 10 pounds, I think, over the holidays, just from Nautamu ice cream. And I was like, you guys, I love you, but I can't believe I'm saying this to you, but no more ice cream. <laughs> You're not allowed to send that on January 1st. That is not fair. <laughs> They're undercutting your New Year's resolution. <laughs> Literally. Although during cool. a pandemic, I would love like a whole box of ice cream now. I'm like, not a moo. Not a moo. If you guys are listening, I'll take the ice cream too. Please <laughs> give me my address later. Um, no, I love not a moo. I think it's great. And it's, you know, it's like, look, this is about for me, you know, going back kind of to some of the core philosophies of the book, this is not about perfection. Right. This is about progress. 
Mm-hmm. And it's about making room for things that you enjoy. So like, I like not a moo. I like to have a beer once in a while. Yeah. And that's okay. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm not having the IPA because I think it's going to make me live longer. I'm having the IPA because I like having a beer period. It's you, pleasure, know? you know, right. like it's pure pleasure. And I, I think that's a lot of people think of plant-based like, Oh, it's so restrictive, but I, I, my like literal main goal in life is to show people that you can have so much pleasure in your life still and not seeking perfection while being plant-based as your baseline. See, I actually think, and I think it's funny because people make that claim that's so restrictive. And I actually think the idea that it's restrictive has more to do with their comfort zone of what they cook. They're used to cooking a certain way, right? Like five things. Like five things. And there's, Mm -hmm. there's literally, people don't realize there are literally 300,000 edible plants, 300,000 edible plants. Okay. All herbs and spices are plants. There's no herb or spice that comes from meat. All right. I know. Like you would never put like a piece of chicken in boiling water and expect it to taste good. Like everything that makes that taste good is plants. Right. The textures, right? The textures, like who Mm -hmm. wants to give up? You want to give up crunchy? Mm-hmm. Crunchy comes from plants, right? <laughs> like that's the only place that you're going to find it unless you're gnawing on a bone and that's probably not a good idea. I know. So, yeah, exactly. you know, yeah. um, so I just, yeah, it's kind of interesting. I actually think that people, if you open up your diet and you are, are willing to try new things, it's kind of fun to do a world tour plant-based. Mm-hmm. Which is actually kind of what my book, the recipe section, I don't know if you, you checked out the recipes or not, but... I haven't seen it yet, no. Okay, you're going to love it. I'm you're going to love it. There's more... I got to count them. I think there's sep- over 70, but I guess I'll say 65 just to play it safe. There's more than 65 recipes. It's an entire four-week plan. It's laid out for you. It's got shopping lists for every week. Awesome. Um, and one of the things that we did is we want to take you on a culinary world tour. Yeah. So it's like... Every single culture around the world, aside from the United States, mm-hmm. their food tradition starts with being plant-based. Yeah. And so no matter where you go, whether it's like, you know, an Asian country, Korea, Japan, Thailand, Vietnam, all predominantly plant-based. You could look at some of the, um, you could look at like Lebanese food or Mediterranean food. You could look at Greek food. You could look even at Italian food. Like, they're predominantly yeah. plant-based. So, and when you combine all those different flavors, it's like, I mean, how can that not be fun? Oh, it's amazing. Indian food, you know? Yeah. Well, and the thing is, is like coming from a French trained background, like I never really clicked super hard. Like I never felt like I really fit in with the French way of cooking. Like, oh, you have to cook this duck confit perfectly or you're, you know, cooking with tons of butter, tons of this or whatever. And then all of a sudden when I switched to being a totally plant-based chef, it was like, boom, I get it now. Like this is, this. It, I mean, I always got it, but it just clicked in this way. Like food made sense in my mind more than it ever, ever had. And my food ever since has just been like, like next next level than I could have ever even imagined cooking classically French style food. Because you went from being a person who followed the directions to a person who was in their creative space. Right. 
and like yeah. using your chemistry skills, your food chemistry exactly. skills. Exactly. And wanting to fit in, you know, very male dominated field, like kind of wanting to fit in, cook the, cook the meat, cook this, blah, blah, blah. But once I just like let go of that, that like ego side of eating, which I think is a baseline why a lot of people have fear around not eating meat is, is very like this ego side of it. It just like changes everything. It's insane. Yeah. Like it changes the way you look at food, the way you appreciate food, the way you even taste things, the way you smell things, the way the way you understand it. It all just changes when you let go of that idea that you have to have a big piece of meat on every single plate. It's so American too. It's so American. And it's even like it's recent American. It's like the last you yeah. know, 100 years or less than 100 years that we've been this way. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. So. But you know what? I'm curious because I know we had questions and we will, folks at home, don't worry. We're going back to those questions. <laughs> I want to know, can you tell me, like, I'm so curious about your experience being classically French trained, Yeah. but with plant, with a plant slant, because I mean, obviously they won't, will they allow you to, in your training, not like cook the meat, taste the meat, all those different things. I mean, you have to be a part of that, right? I mean, yeah, so I guess, like, I all through culinary school, like, this was, like, 10 years ago now, but, you know, you learn how to butcher animals, you learn how to, like, everything, and I had one class called Contemporary Cuisine, and uh, it's funny, because I'm writing a book now, too, and the story is in the book, but it's, like, we get in there, we're, like, almost done with school, we all think we're super badass, like, we can cook amazing, we're, like, being about to be thrown into the world of culinary, and we feel, like, amazing, and then there's this Indian chef, Chef Anita, and she's, like, She's like, so everything that you've learned from here on out, you can forget about it. This is your salt-free, oil-free, meat and dairy-free class. And you're going to blow my mind with flavor and you're not going to use any of those things. And all of us just looked at each other like, what? <laughs> you know, like we were pissed. I remember everyone being so upset because we were like, what are you talking about? We can't use butter. We can't use salt. We can't, what? Like we can't use bacon fat or or pork belly to like make something taste good and like that class rocked me because I just like and even still I think about like how uncomfortable I was and I think it's funny because I'm like that class shaped my whole life and I didn't even know it you know it's so funny because I, I feel like those moments of discomfort yeah can I mean I think for some people it's not necessarily healthy I mean there can be discomfort to the point that it really hurts you but I feel yeah. like in, in many cases that's where the real growth occurs Oh, 1000%. Yeah. Even this yeah. podcast, like this, this whole me starting a podcast was like the most uncomfortable thing for me because I'm really comfortable like teaching classes with my knife in my hand. You know what I mean? And like the podcast is very just like, you know, we're just chatting. And so that was really uncomfortable for me. But now it's. You got a knife in your hands? I, there's one hand. No, that's off no there's no knife. Oh, I have a pen, just a pen. <laughs> all, right, all right, cool. I'm good. I'm good. No, I've got like 15 over there though. But, um, oh, okay. <laughs> But yeah, the podcast has just become like one of my most favorite things because I get to talk to people like you that I would probably never want to talk to or have the availability to talk to or whatever without this platform. So it's just been really cool. And yeah, it's just, I'm pushing myself and that's where the growth happens. But yeah, when it comes to eating, I ate, so even on my health journey, like like learning about nutrition and things like I was still eating meat, but I was like getting rid of like excessive fat and like I quit eating pork. And then I, you know, it's, it kind of happens in stages. I quit drinking soda or binging on Ben and Jerry's and like, you know, it kind of just like slowly happened. But I, what I realized in this act is actually perfect because it leads into my next question is 
I was still feeling like shit, even though I was healthy, like basically paleo and like everything I was learning about nutrition was like paleo or kind of like let people decide for themselves, biodiversity, blah, 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 like go with how you feel. And so I want to know like from your perspective and just kind of like in the way that you put things so eloquently, like why is meat and dairy bad for your gut? And, and that was like one of the biggest questions I had too. like, from your perspective, why is it bad for your gut? What does it do to your gut and why going into predominantly plant-based? So it's, I mean, it's not even my perspective. It's like literally just what the science. Right. I mean like your words. Yeah. 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 And because, um, you know, I feel like the science on this is very clear. So I'll give you an example. I'll just give you one study, but this was one of the like game changing studies for me back in 2014. Um, published in Nature, literally the top medical journal on the entire planet. Uh, Like if we find the cure for cancer, that's where they're going to publish it, that journal. Yeah. And it was um, these these guys, Lawrence David and Peter Turnbaugh. And basically what they did is they wanted to show that you could change a person's gut microbiome with their diet. Now, we all know at this point in 2020 that you can, and that's because of this study that I'm about to tell you about okay but back in 2014 we weren't sure if you could do that and so what they did is they put people on polar opposite diets so what are the polar opposite diets well one would be hundred percent whole food plant-based mm-hmm. no oil and the other would be 100 animal product based which you could call a carnivore diet or you could call a keto if you want i mean the the percentages are that mm-hmm. uh, but it's it's eggs it's dairy and it's meat and nothing else no plants no fiber period zero fiber. And so they did this literally just for five days. Each day they checked their microbiome to see what would happen. And what was fascinating is literally day one, day one, radical changes to the gut microbiome. But you saw a diverging, diverging trend depending on which diet you chose. They were very, very different in terms of the effect. Yeah. If you ate a 100% whole food plant-based diet, what they saw was that there was the growth, the multiplication, the enhancement of the microbes that we would all classify as anti-inflammatory. These are microbes that reduce inflammation in the body, that heal your body. And what is um, unique about these specific microbes is they all have the ability to consume fiber. And when they eat the fiber, this is the fiber is their food. Right. And when they eat the fiber, they actually release what are called short chain fatty acids, which I believe are like the most underrated thing in all of nutrition, mm-hmm. the biggest secret. And it's the thing that we should be talking about instead of talking about lectins and phytates and that BS. Yeah. So they release short chain fatty acids, which have healing effects throughout the entire body. They heal the gut. They reverse leaky gut. They go to the brain. They like can, can prevent Alzheimer's disease. They can reverse heart disease. I mean, just like literally the entire body, they affect the immune system. Right. All right. So five days on a plant-based diet, more of those microbes, more short chain fatty acids, because you have more of those microbes Mm -hmm. and you know, universally anyone would look at the changes and say, Hey, dang, like that's good stuff. The flip side was sort of the dark, the dark side of an entire 100% animal product diet. Um, it's disturbing. Like it's it's honestly disturbing the changes that occurred right off the bat. Day one already major changes. 
you're seeing the emergence of inflammatory microbes, microbes that are associated with, for example, heart disease, microbes that are associated with autoimmune diseases. One specific one comes to mind, um, and that is Bilophila wadsworthia. Bilophila wadsworthia like popped off the charts in the people eating the animal product diet. And this, this particular bacteria has been very strongly associated with the development of inflammatory bowel disease. So, and it's not that in five days you actually are developing inflammatory bowel disease. What it is, is that you are changing your gut microbiome in a way where if you're the type of person who has a genetic vulnerability to developing inflammatory bowel disease by eating this way, you are going to, you are going to bring out that genetic vulnerability. Right. And then the last thing, the last thing is that they, uh, they noticed on the completely animal product based diet that there was actually antibiotic resistance in the gut. Yeah. Which at first they're like, that's kind of weird because we haven't given any antibiotics. And then they realized it's because you're getting the antibiotics from the meat. Yeah. And so you are actually, you are actually breeding antibiotic resistant bacteria in your gut when you eat a diet that includes these antibiotic treated animals. Yeah. So, um, so that study to me makes it quite clear that your dietary choices change your gut microbes in less than 24 hours and they can heal. They can give you an anti-inflammatory gut microbiome that's capable of rewarding you with short chain fatty acids. And that's what you get when you eat a plant-based diet. Or alternatively, you can have a gut microbiome that basically is like an arsonist with a flamethrower that's just like, you know, kicking out this flame and, and basically wants to give you inflammatory bowel disease. Yeah. So I feel like a lot of people would hear that and be like, okay, well, why can't I just eat a majority plant-based diet and just eat dairy or just have this? Like what's wrong? Like, you know, why, why would someone need to go all, all in whole food plant-based in order to achieve this? So I, I believe that, and this is the way that I organize the book. I want to move the needle, all right? I want to show people a path to better health, and then I want to get them started on that journey. Yeah. And, you know, I think you know this, but perhaps people at home don't realize how bad the average American's diet is. Yeah. That right now, the average American is literally, literally 10% plant-based, 10%. And they are 60% processed foods, so they're getting six times more calories from processed foods than they are actual plants. Yeah. And they are 30% animal products. So we're getting three times more calories from, from animal products than they are from actual plants. Mm-hmm. And we should be clearly more in the 70, 80, 90, 100 range. Yeah. Okay. So my goal is to meet people where they are and move the needle. And I'm challenging people to make these changes because I think like me, like you, you're going to feel so much better that you're going to keep pushing it until you get to the point that you're hundred percent. Yeah. That being said, if you get to 90% and you feel like 90% is the right diet for you, I'm, I am not going to jump all over you and say that that's a horrible choice. I just don't believe in that because I, I, from my perspective, when you get to that range, 90%, probably the most compelling argument at that point 
to push it to 100% is actually the ethics. Yeah. At that point, what makes you say, I'm going to be absolute and I'm going to be 100%, it's the animal welfare and it's the environment that you go, it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. And the idea of eating meat is starting to gross me out. Yeah. And, and that's what I think pushes you to 100%. For me, could I be healthy at 90%? I, I suppose that I probably could be, but I felt so freaking good at 100%. I've reversed aging. I am 40. I feel younger than I did when I was 30. I mm-hmm. lost the 50 pounds that I gained. Mm-hmm. Like I am the best version of myself at 40 and as a dad yeah. that I've ever been. Totally. And I, I credit my diet as being a huge driving factor in that. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I was 90% for like two years and I was still eating fish sometimes, still eating cheese sometimes. But like personally, my symptoms didn't fully go away and I didn't fully start to see like radical, radical changes until I went like all in. And then I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, here we go. This is This is what I've been trying to see. But I mean, I think the thing is, is that people have no idea how good they can really feel. And I think that's part of it too. I think a lot of us are stuck in this like low level vibration that they don't really know that you can feel amazing, you know? Right. Right. And there's, there's this vibrant health that exists that like, I mean, and I understand and I, and what I'm catching is that you and I have very similar stories in our own unique way Yeah. because I, I didn't make a radical change. And for me, my changes were always motivated by my health. Right. So, you know, while I believe 100% in the environmental concerns and the animal welfare concerns, for me, it was always about my health. Mm -hmm. And I did make that gradual change. But I think the important thing is, like, for example, go all the way back to the beginning. That first change, that first step, you go back and what it was, was I decided, you know what, instead of going to Hardee's and getting a double cheeseburger fries and a chili cheese dog, instead of that, I'm going to go home, pull out the blender, a couple of bananas, some greens, mm-hmm. some berries, some flaxseed. Like literally, that was it. So easy. Blend that sucker up 30, 35 ounces. That's my dinner. Yeah. All right. I feel completely full. My energy is through the roof. I don't have some hangover that I need to like go to bed early or lay on the couch. Mm-hmm. And I'm like ready an hour later to go smash a workout, you know, and that for me, that instant, instant, instant return on such a simple change, it brought me back for day two. Totally. That's so funny. I'm like smiling from ear to ear because my whole journey literally started with green smoothies too. Like the obsession of the green smoothie, which I wrote an entire book called blend, like an ebook all about green smoothies. Cause so I was like, this is the beginning. Like this is the entry. This is like the golden gates into like, you know, awareness of this because it is so easy. It's just a blender and it's amazing how amazing it can make you feel. So that's just funny. It's super, super similar. It's super funny. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So this is a really, really popular question too. You know, when you switch to a plant-based diet, especially with my clients, like, and me, even my parents, like people ask me this all the time. They complain so much like gas, diarrhea, bloating, blah, blah, blah. And, um, so like what kind of happens to your body when you start to eat grains and legumes and then kind of like a part 
part B of this question is there are a lot of fad diets out there like paleo and keto and stuff that and whole 30 that basically say that grains and legumes are bad. And yeah. so, and then people, you know, they eat them, they reintroduce them and then they have bloating, they have diarrhea and then they, they think like, Oh, this is bad. So what kind of happens to your gut microbiome and what is the transition period in order to be able to digest those things? All right. Let's, so let's break this down. That was a lot of um, questions. And yeah, this is, this is huge. And this is actually, you basically have just said, like, this is chapter four and chapter five of my book. Mm-hmm. All right. Chapter four is basically laying the foundation of, of how to build the healthiest gut possible. And chapter five is how to build the healthiest gut possible when you suffer from gas, bloating, abdominal pain, diarrhea, or constipation as a result of making this dietary change. Yeah. It's all about healing your gut with a sensitive stomach. Mm-hmm. And I want people to understand right off the bat, the people who need this diet the most are the ones who will struggle the most in the beginning to do it. And the reason why is because you got to train your gut. Okay. We rely on our gut microbiome to process and digest our food. Mm-hmm. We have outsourced our, our, our digestive enzymes to our gut microbes. Mm-hmm. Let me give you an example. The, um, the enzymes that break down fiber. Most people think fiber goes in the mouth and then like launches out the other end as a torpedo. Okay. That's not really true. That's not really true. Like that is hogwash. We need to redefine fiber. Okay. Fiber specifically prebiotic fiber actually passes through the intestine untouched and it gets to your, to your colon where your gut microbiome lives, and then they feast. They feast on it. And this is what we were talking about before, where they feast, they get stronger, and then they release short-chain fatty acids. But in order for them to feast, they need to have the enzymes necessary to break down that fiber. Chef Babe, you and I are these big, strong, powerful humans. And yet, if you look at the entire human body, we only have 17 of these enzymes called glycoside hydrolases, 17. Now, I'm about to make you realize how pathetically small that is because there are estimates that our gut microbiome has 60,000 60, unique enzymes designed to help us to process and unpack our food. When you eat a food that contains fiber mm-hmm. or, you can, or you eat a food that contains FODMAPs and it disrupts your stomach a little bit, gas, bloating, abdominal discomfort, that is not inflammation. There is no evidence to support that. Despite what you've been told, that is not inflammation. There's no study to support that. What that is, is sloppy digestion. It's sloppy digestion. And it's because your gut is lacking some of the enzymes necessary to process and unpack your food. Let me give you an example. Let's talk about lactose. Like you don't drink dairy. I don't drink dairy. I'm not saying that people should drink dairy. But what I am saying is that it's very well studied the way that lactose intolerance works. Right. People think that we're born with lactose intolerance when in fact, that's not true. People have the ability to make themselves capable of processing and digesting lactose. There are studies that show that basically if you introduce lactose in a small amount, over the course of time, a person's gut microbiome adapts and it starts getting better and better at digesting lactose. Mm-hmm. And then they show in the same studies that because the gut microbiome adapts, the gas and bloating go away. 
the abdominal pain go away, the diarrhea and constipation go away. Mm. With all food that we eat, whether it's legumes, whether it's whole grains, whatever it may be, our gut needs to be adapted to what we're doing. So it's time to think of the gut like a muscle. Yeah. It's time to think of the gut like a muscle. And what that means is that you need to exercise your gut. It's like different, each different food category, like a bean or a whole grain, think of it like working out a muscle group, right? So yeah. if the bean is like my bicep, right? And the whole grain is my tricep, <laughs> all right? If I get rid of the beans and the beans are my biceps, if I get rid of the beans, I'm going to have some weird looking arms because my biceps are going to get super small. Totally. And then not only that, you go to bench 400 pounds, which is like a whole plate of beans all of a sudden without having them, you're going to... You're going to hurt yourself. Exactly. Exactly. When you overdo it, you hurt yourself. So if you think about your gut like it's a muscle, the key is this. It can be trained. It can get stronger. Mm -hmm. It can be rehabbed. It can be rehabbed. Okay. Like after an injury, which is where the person is who's recovering from a damaged gut. That's where you were. Yeah. When you were recovering. Mm -hmm. People that have endometriosis have damage to their gut. Oh, man. So yeah. When you have that damage to your gut, you, you're going to have food sensitivity. Mm -hmm. you're, going, you're going to struggle with fiber and FODMAPs. But when you rehab the gut by slowly introducing these things over the course of time, you will build it up and you will make it stronger. If you eliminate it, you get weaker. Yeah. If you eliminate it, you get weaker. And so, so the point from my perspective is we've been told all these years by all these fad diets, elimination is the solution. Is it? Or do we have more food sensitivity today than we did 10 years ago? Yeah. I would argue we have more food sensitivity today. And I see these people every single day in my clinic. And the story always goes like this. I decided that I, I don't tolerate beans. So I got rid of them. And I felt better for like three weeks. And then I was right back to where I was before, maybe even worse. Right. That's what I hear every single day. Mm -hmm. And the solution for this person is to bring the beans back. But you got to rehab your gut. If you haven't had beans for two years, that's like going to the gym and not working out your, your muscles for two years. You got to start super low. You got to recognize that there's going to be some pain. Yeah. You got to rehab the gut. And if you put in the time and the effort and you stay committed to the process, you will end up so much stronger as a result of that. Yeah. I love that metaphor. That's great. Chapter five, chapter five. <laughs> well, and I feel like, you know, it's also patience. It's getting out of that mindset of like fast food, everything needs convenience. It needs to happen quickly. If I eat something, it doesn't feel good. I'm going to get away from that and just eat something that makes me feel good right now. And so, yeah, it's the idea of good things take time sometimes. And it, it, it takes a little bit of time to go into something new or to try new things or to reintroduce new things. And um, I think a lot of these fad diets, they say like, okay, like cut everything out. This is the way you're going to be eating from now on where it could be more of like an introductory or, you know, it doesn't have to be so aggressively like those lines, if that makes sense. Well, right. And, and, and the, there's a couple things that happen when we do that. Um, one is that you eliminate these foods and your gut gets weaker because you have eliminated these foods. So you end up on a progressively short list. Like it's a shorter and shorter and shorter list until you get to the point where it's like, dang, man, all I'm eating now is white rice, potatoes, and arugula and salmon. And that's it. And it's like, okay, that's not a healthy diet. I'm yeah. sorry. It's not. The other thing that happens 
and this is one of my other concerns, and I think it, it, it warrants conversation, is that we're giving people an eating disorder. Yeah. Because we are vilifying the food. We are pretending as if this food is going to kill them, and it's a monster, mm-hmm. right? Lectins and gluten and phytates. And, and you know, those stories are so blown out of proportion, and they're, it's giving you food anxiety, and people are developing, you know, eating disorders that are on a spectrum where it could be mild, where it's like you're just uneasy and uncomfortable with the idea of eating the food. And that may actually manifest with gut symptoms all the way up to you may be developing orthorexia or you could go full blown and have anorexia or bulimia. And I've had patients who try doing like, for example, a keto and they end up bulimic. Mm -hmm. And the eating disorder is actually horrible for the gut. Yeah. And so it creates a vicious cycle where your unfair relationship with the food has, and by the way, I like completely, in the case it's not obvious, completely sympathize with these people. These are like my patients that I like am closest to because I spend a lot of time with them you create a vicious cycle where you have an unhealthy relationship with your food. It provokes your food provokes anxiety. And because of that, you actually are hurting your gut. And because you're hurting your gut, it's making you be even more symptomatic with your food, which provokes even more anxiety with your food. It's it's a really um, unfortunate thing that happens. And I feel like the fad diets, they're not, they're not working. That's the bottom line. They're not working. No. Yeah. I have so many like people that come to me that are on keto or paleo or whatever. They're super depressed, anxieties through the roof. And not only that, but then it discourages people to even go to the grocery store. It discourages them to cook anything because they're afraid that they're going to screw it up or it's not going to make them feel good or it's going to be a waste or that or, or that. So from every single process of eating, from looking at recipes to digesting the food, the whole system of eating in that way is just so broken. And I feel the same way. I have so much compassion for these people because it's just like, it sucks, you know? And I just want people to understand that number one, like if you have done these diets, I want you, I want people to understand that if you're listening to us right now, I am, I am actually like super inspired by you. Yeah. If you have done these diets. Okay. Because you are the person who is actually inclined to change your habit, to change your diet. And so I, I love these people. Yeah. What I don't love is the food system yeah, I agree. and the entire setup that is teaching them that this is the path to health when it simply is not true. And the evidence, the science does yeah. not back it up and it's not their fault. They're just following, they're just doing what they've been told to do. Exactly. So, and that's, that's the part that kind of drives me absolutely insane. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that I want to make sure people understand is that I am not denying that you can have specific improvements of specific conditions with some of these diets. For example, the ketogenic diet, if properly applied for people who are morbidly obese, most of them will actually lose weight. Yeah. But the issue is it is not sustained weight loss. It's short term. If you study them for four weeks, you'll see weight loss. If you study them for 12 weeks, you won't see weight loss. Yeah. They gain it up. They gain it back. And the problem is when you lose that weight, you lose, people don't realize this. You're not just targeting the fat. I wish that we were. 
when, when you lose weight, you're losing muscle mass and fat. Mm-hmm. And the problem with yo-yo dieting is that when you lose the weight, you lose muscle mass and fat. But when you put the weight back on, you don't get the muscle mass back. Right. You put the fat back on. So you're actually less healthy than when you started. Super important. These diets may pay short-term dividends, but they come at a long-term expense. They damage the gut microbiome. They also are putting you in harm's way when it comes to things like heart disease, which is the number one killer, mm-hmm. or colon cancer, which is the number two cause of cancer death in America. Short-term gain, long-term loss. They are not a winning formula for longevity. There is no study that says that you live longer on a low-carb diet. Yeah. The studies that say that you live longer are the ones where you're eating a high-carb diet that's made up whole plant foods, real food that grows in the earth the way that you and I are describing. Exactly. And I mean, shout out to like everyone being at home and just wanting to carb up right now. <laughs> carb up, like, <laughs> carb up. I know it's like solving the problem like from a back end way, but everyone's like, uh, I saw this meme that was like, shout out to bread for making a comeback during this pandemic. And like- Don't call it a comeback. I've been here for years. I love it. <laughs> And I feel that too. I mean, with endo, like I was, you know, kind of taught to be really afraid of gluten and I mean, 1000 things to be afraid of with endometriosis because everything would ignite that. But when I dropped the gluten for a really long time, now when I introduce it in small amounts, like I have no, no reaction at all. Like my body can tolerate it. And so, um, yeah, everything that you just said is super powerful. I think no matter what food you're talking about. And gluten is actually, I mean, it's such an interesting topic. I actually spent a lot of space in the book breaking down gluten Mm -hmm. so that everyone can figure out exactly what they should do with gluten. Mm -hmm. All right. But the important thing is that there are many, many people who have gone gluten-free or they are restricting their gluten. And it's not that I'm saying you should get maximum gluten in your life. I'm not saying that gluten is this wonderful, powerful thing that's going to heal your body. What I am (laughs) saying is that if you restrict and eliminate gluten, you can be throwing the baby out with the bathwater yeah. because high quality breads, sourdough bread or Ezekiel yes. bread, yes. high quality breads have health benefits to your gut microbiome. And mm-hmm. when you throw out gluten completely, most people fail to actually replace the gluten. Most people are just reducing their whole grain consumption and exactly. whole grains are foundational foods for the gut. Yeah. I totally agree with that. And and even from what I've noticed, just listening to my own body and the more I've studied the actual grain of wheat and how much we process wheat and like the, all the bleached flowers and things like that, like that is what was causing my endo symptoms to flare up was the wheat and, you know, having the bleached flour, those white rolls at dinner or whatever, it would be that not like the whole grain or now I make my own, you know, fermented bread and like my body loves it, like loves yes. it. Yeah. We know the other thing they do is if wheat is not organic, Mm -hmm. wheat gets sprayed with glyphosate. Yeah. And the reason is it's not because it's like genetically modified like soy and corn. It's Mm -hmm. because they actually will spray the glyphosate to dry it out at the end. And so, so yeah, to me, wheat needs to be organic. I always get organic when when I'm getting anything that's wheat based. Same, same. Yeah, yeah. I totally feel that. Um, I have a ton more questions for you, but I know that we're kind of running out of time. So I'm thinking maybe we could do like a part two so I could get all the questions that everyone asked if that works or if I could ask some more questions. What do you think? Where are you at? Um, I'm totally up for round two. Yeah, I think that would yeah. be great. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, let's do it.
yeah, let's just we'll just keep hammering away at the questions. I love I love the idea of having two parts in the series. I mean, hell, uh, you know, for all the people who spent the time to ask questions, I'm grateful that you guys are interested and excited. And you know, I hope that this is um, a couple things. Like, I hope that this is helpful. <laughs> and I, I I really feel like the internet is crazy because of the misinformation that exists. Yeah, it's so frustrating, right? Does it frustrate you? Oh my God. All day, yeah. every day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Especially so lately. The key, the, yeah, exactly. So the key is that if, if the internet is this place that's misinformation, the way we combat misinformation is to lift up high quality information when you find it. Yeah. And the way that you accomplish that is to share. Mm -hmm. So like, if you guys have enjoyed this podcast, I want you to share it on social media. I want yeah. you to tell your friends to give it a listen. Um, because that's how we combat misinformation. And if you read my book and you enjoy my book, I hope that you do. I mean, I really think that, you know, if you enjoyed this conversation, you would definitely enjoy my book because it basically is just like a deeper dive in everything we're talking about. 100%. Um, if you read my book and you love it, I would, I want to hear about it. I want you to go to social media and do a story, do a post, tag me, let me know. I will share it. And let's just get the word out on, yeah. you know, trying to help people. Yeah, 100%. So just to end this part one real quick, where and when can we get our hands on Fiber Fueled? Fiber Fueled goes live nationwide on May 12th. And there's ways that you can get it overseas if you're overseas and are interested. If you have trouble, just reach out, DM me through Instagram. But okay. Fiber Fueled is um, available through all the major publishers, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Let me just say, like, I would encourage you guys to go to your local bookstore or call your local bookstore and have them get you a copy of Fiber Field. And the reason why is because when COVID-19 is over, the storm is passed, I want to be able to walk into a bookstore and have a cup of coffee and browse books and chill. And that's only going to happen if we do enough to support our local bookstores right now. So I really would encourage you guys to make sure you support your local bookstore with this book purchase. I love that. That's great. Yeah. That's such a good way to kind of like kill two birds with one stone, not killing any birds, but you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> We're hugging them. We're hugging two birds with one hug. Two birds with one hug. And they're hugging us back. They're not pecking us. They're not pecking us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. Thanks for coming on the show. And um, I'm so excited for next time. All right. Yeah, totally. It'll be great. Cool. All right, you guys, there you have it. Part one with the Gut Health MD. That's a wrap. Um, I got so many questions from you guys to ask him. Don't worry, we'll be asking all the questions in part two. Um, so make sure to subscribe so that you can get notified when that episode comes out. It'll be in the middle of May sometime. Um, but for now, thank you so much for listening. I'm so grateful to all of you and if you liked this episode give us a review or go give dr b at the gut health md on instagram a shout out show him some love and let you know that you love the episode huge shout out and a big thank you to dr b for coming on the show and sharing some awesome words of wisdom to us Thank you all so much for listening. If you like this episode, be sure to leave us a comment. We would appreciate it so much. And um, yeah, don't forget to eat your greens this week and we'll see you soon.